Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, once again recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. Folks, I want to thank you all so much for your kind messages and notes while I was on vacation, finally taking my own advice and getting some much-needed rest and vitamin D. Um, I also really loved the fact that you guys enjoyed the content that I left behind for you while I was away, particularly the Dinner for One episode, which seemed to spark a lot of conversation and I'm really happy about that and we will be sure to have Lauren back on the show. But what a fucking week to return to. My God. So let me kick things off with starting my thoughts on the Oscars. Okay. So folks, um, coming up later in the show, I have a guest on, a a new guest that has not been on the show before. And so I'm really excited um, to bring you their perspective. Um, Kara Reedy is the director of the Disability Association for Journalists and has worked in a variety of newsrooms from CNN to NPR, MSNBC, and others. And I wanted to have Kara on the show because, you know, the incident that occurred um, at the Oscars, and if by now you don't know, I don't know where you have been, but so let me give you a quick remix. Um, during, uh, Chris Rock's, I guess, set conversation, um, his joke set, he decided to make a very, in my humble opinion, disrespectful joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith were there at the Oscars. Why? Because Will Smith was nominated for his best, uh, actor role in King Richard which he would later win that night after he smacked the shit out of Chris Rock on national television for making a joke about Jada Pinkett's hair. Now, let me start to preface something right off the bat, which is this. If you are not from the community that is the butt of a joke, you don't get to say whether or not something should just 
roll off of people's backs or whether or not they should just laugh at their own pain and their own trauma. The fact is this, Jada Pinkett Smith has been very public about her battle with alopecia, a immune disorder that has people's hair fall out, right? And for some people who I've seen on social media, it has shocked me, frankly, that people are just so cavalier with saying losing your hair is not a big deal. First of all, you can go so far back into the fucking Bible, if that is your religion of choice, where the woman's hair, women's hair is talked about as their crown and their glory and all of these things. We can also go back into history to talk to you about the ways in which black women's hair, body, demeanor have been policed over the course of history. I can't think of a time when black women's hair hasn't been the subject of somebody's joke, commentary, or abuse, right? And for Chris Rock, a man who actually did an entire fucking movie entitled Good Hair, talking about the politicization of black women's hair to make that joke at Jada Pinkett's expense made no fucking sense. So do I condone violence? No. But do I understand it? Absolutely, I do. Would I have said to Will Smith to tarnish or to, you know, distract people from your historic win the first time ever for a long overdue Oscar. Yeah. Wasn't the best choice, right? You could have used the, you know, opportunity during your acceptance speech to fucking roast Chris Rock. Right. And that would have been acceptable and okay. But you know, folks, here's the thing too. You never know what people are battling with and what they are dealing with and what will push them over the edge. And that is just facts. Again, am I condoning violence? No. But I also say that if you've been paying attention over the past couple of years, the Smiths have been in the news for a whole host of things. And they have also been the butts of many jokes, even when they're trying to be their most authentic selves, share their vulnerabilities, share their indiscretions, to open up conversations about open marriages, entanglements, all of these things. They have brought it to their red talk table conversations, right? Will Smith sat there while Jada Pinkett Smith was talking about her entanglement, her affair with a much younger man, we made memes about his pain, right? So again, I'm not condoning violence, but you have to understand that there's only so much that people can take. And also for those people that want to say that, oh, because of their wealth and because of their fame, again, they should just allow things to roll off their back and turn the other cheek. Give me a fucking break. Right? Because what we have seen over the course of the last several years, as we've had more open conversations about mental health, about depression, about anxiety, particularly in these COVID times during this pandemic where mental health and those conversations have been at the forefront, you know, to just dismiss people's feelings and their emotions because they have money to me makes absolutely no sense because there are many celebrities that have used their fame and their platform to advance conversations that wouldn't have happened without them. And so again, my problem with what went down is this, I find it very difficult to laugh at jokes at the expense of other people. 
particularly people from marginalized communities. Alopecia, which is not something that I know a whole lot about, but thanks to the very openness of Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, thanks to the openness of Jada Pinkett Smith, I have learned more right, about this immune disorder, about how it affects women, particularly when society has wrapped up our femininity and our value by what grows out of our head. And particularly for black women who have either had to iron their hair, perm their hair, weave their hair in order to meet European expressions of beauty, right? As a black man, Chris Rock should have fucking known better than to talk about a black woman's hair, particularly one that is actually suffering from a health disorder. So to make the comparison to a mo- to a movie where the woman in the movie G.I. Jane made the choice to cut off her hair as opposed to what Jada Pinkett Smith has been dealing with was just absurd on its face, right? But my other issue is with people's lack of fucking nuance and to understand the layers and the complexities that were at play, right? Because to me, there is also something else that many people have been talking about, which is this, toxic masculinity, right? Why does love, right, or defense of a woman have to look like violence, right? Why did Will Smith feel the need to get up out of his seat to knock another man out, which he didn't. He slapped him, open hand slap, because let's be honest, if Will Smith actually wanted to cause real damage to Chris Rock other than his ego, he could have, right? But he did not. So that was also a calculated decision. But again, we're talking about the issues of emotions and masculinity and toxicity and and what a man should do in defense of his woman and all of these things and not taking into consideration all of the different layers and the nuances that were at play is just, I don't know, intellectually dishonest, right? At this point. And so you can see more of my thoughts Um, at Zora Magazine, where I wrote a piece entitled In Defense of Black Women. And what I did is start out with a very well-known and very well-quoted speech from Malcolm X from 1962, right, with regard to the fact that the most unprotected, right, and lack of care for person in this country is the black woman. And you can't point to something and tell me otherwise. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on my piece. But now I want to make the transition to talking about somebody else's wife who should actually be in the fucking news and who should be on everybody's fucking lips and is not because we are so invested in the slap that we are not looking at who is slapping the shit out of our fucking democracy right now, which is, oh, I don't know, the Thomases. So let's transition to this married couple. While I was on vacation, Clarence Thomas's wife, right, Ginny Thomas, it was brought to the attention of the world, not only was Ginny, which I can't stand that fucking name, like I want to change the Karen to Ginny now because of her. But anyway, I digress. Ginny found herself at the insurrection on January 6th. And she said that she was there in support of her president. Now, one would assume that a sitting Supreme Court justice should not have their spouse, right, 
be at any type of political rally, let alone one that is based on a fucking lie. And you would assume that if your husband or your wife is a sitting member of the Supreme Court, then the Constitution wouldn't be something that is foreign to you, right? But as it turns out, Ginny Thomas wasn't just at the insurrection. She wasn't just at the rally listening to the speeches, but she actually helped fund the buses of the protesters who would later shit in the Capitol building and steal, right? And try and, oh, I don't know, thwart our entire electoral process and overturn an election. That sounds like, what? what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, a crime. It sounds like a fucking crime that the Department of Justice, you would think, would be active in investigating, but still, as of yet, we hear crickets from Merrick Garland's fucking Department of Justice. Now, riddle me this. Justice Thomas was also, get this, ladies and gentlemen, the sole vote against Donald Trump releasing his correspondence during the insurrection. Now we should all be wondering, why was that? Why was Clarence Thomas so against the release of that information? Could it be, as it turns out, that Ginny Thomas was doing back and forth, back and forth text messages between herself and Donald Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who was also actively writing statements and letters to the Department of Justice to get them to overturn or at least put out some type of statement that would lead us to believe that the election was fraudulent and then Donald Trump would, quote unquote, take it from there. Folks, The amount of fucking evidence that is staring Merrick Garland's Justice Department in the face, the amount of information that we have received from the over 500 people interviewed by the House Commission on the insurrection, now we see reports that they would like to, right, the House 1-6 Commission would like to request an interview with Ginny Thomas. And I'm thinking to myself, self, if this were the other way around and Democrats had caused an insurrection where Democrats had their followers be a part of the killings and the abuse of police officers, right? That Republicans would not be requesting so nicely for an interview that instead, oh, I don't know, they would do the same type of aggressive shit that they did with Benghazi, which turned up with zero indictments, but that they would make it known to the world what exactly was happening. Democrats, on the other hand, though, I'm looking around and I'm saying, how much more fucking information do we need here for Merrick Garland to act like he has a goddamn spine? How much more do we need to know to understand that our Supreme Court is fucking compromised, right? That our Department of Justice seems to be compromised. 
and that there is no push or emphasis coming out of the Biden administration to actually do any fucking thing about it. That once again, here we have more money and resources and energy going to Ukraine and preserving their democracy and none of that same energy going to preserve the United States. Now, let me say this, because while I was away, I did uh, a post on uh, TikTok, which by the way, folks, I'm on the TikToks now, so go and follow me. But I did a post on TikTok saying that, you know, in response to Biden's speech in Poland, which he then had to walk back once again and apologize for saying that there needs to be a regime change in Russia and that Putin needs to be removed, which by the way, every fucking person on this planet believes. But as we know, words that come out of the mouth of the president of the United States carry more weight. But here's also the reality. Do you know how many fucking regime changes that the United States has orchestrated over the last 200 and plus fucking years? A lot. So for us again to feign shock and outrage like, oh my God, people should be decide, be able to decide their own leaders. Yeah, we'll talk to the people of Haiti, of Venezuela, of Colombia, of Nicaragua, all of the places where the United States has gone in and put in their own fucking presidents and prime ministers in order to better, right, position themselves in geopolitical world, in the geopolitical world and in warfare, right? Look at what happened in Afghanistan. Look at what's happened in Syria, in all of these places. I mean, the lists of the ways in which the United States has stuck its nose in other people's business. So for there to be feigned outrage that the United States could never or would never just once again shows us that the history that we are teaching our children and have been taught ourselves has been based in the overall gaslight, right? Which is to say that America is beyond reproach, that we are, oh, the good guys going around the world to preserve democracy and that it doesn't have anything to do with the advancement of our own capitalistic interests. Folks, it's exhausting. The bullshit is exhausting me. It's why I needed to take a vacation. And even still, as I'm listening to people say that, oh my God, the president, those nine words that he said, those nine words were a travesty. And I'm listening to Republicans. Republicans have the audacity to say what exactly? That, oh my God, presidents shouldn't say things that people find offensive when in fact you hold up Donald Trump who won, couldn't put together a cohesive sentence if he had a gun to his head, but also has said some of the most offensive shit, namely wanting to tweet out potential nuclear war to North Korea. Do people not remember that? Right? But again, America's memory is like that of a gnat. Folks, here's the thing. Clarence Thomas needs to be investigated. Ginny Thomas needs to be investigated. Mark Meadows needs to be investigated. John Eastman is going to be investigated because a federal judge has said that he needs to release over 100 emails, right? That are on, that are still sitting over 400 days removed from the insurrection on this motherfucker's laptop. My question is about the sense of urgency, is about 
the clock that we are on as we count our way down to midterms. And in all honesty, Democrats have nothing to show. The last thing that I will say for today is that President Biden also released his budget. And when I tell you that the only thing that I needed to see in that budget that almost made me turn absolutely green and want to vomit is the increase in funding, increase in funding for police and the military from previous budgets. So when Joe Biden found himself saying, we don't need to defund the police. We need to fund the police during his state of the union. Oh, he meant that shit because he's giving them more of our tax dollars to kill more of us, right? There's no police reform bill. We didn't get rid of qualified immunity, but we're giving them more money so that they can go around and play GI Joe and kill us without any accountability or responsibility. So to the very people, the black people that put Joe Biden's ass in the White House, that was, sir, a giant fuck you. So if you think that folks aren't going to return the favor in 2022 and 2024, you are absolutely fucking tripping. And here's the thing that I will say. I tell people to vote all the time. I will absolutely vote and I will vote for Democrats. But let me be very clear. I understand people who won't. Coming up next, my conversation with Kara. I really, really hope that you take some really good nuggets away from that conversation. And let me know in the comment section what you thought uh, about the Oscars fiasco and how you are feeling now a couple of days removed. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF for the first time, Kara Reedy, who is the director of of the Disabled Journalist Association. Uh, Kara, I am really happy to talk to you today, um, you know, removed from the Oscars 2022. Who knew that it was going to provide such fodder and layered conversation given um, the the physical altercation between Will Smith and Chris Rock um, after Chris Rock made what I will use in quotations as a joke um, about uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife, um, and her hair and her appearance, um, saying that she looks ready for G.I. Jane 2. Um, I want to talk to you particularly about what were your initial reactions? Uh, if you were watching it live or you saw it, you know, um, via, you know, after, after the fact via video, like I did, um, what were your thoughts, uh, and how, how did it land with you? So I have a, I have a history with Chris Rock, actually. Um, he's, he's known to me as someone who is willing to throw out ableist jokes jokes quotation marks without like no with no feeling or thought about it so when whenever I see him on screen I'm always like uh uh-oh and then he did it and I was like oh uh uh-oh because I you know there's a lot of people that are like well no one knew he had she had alopecia well 
does not knowing someone have alopecia make it okay for you to comment about their physical appearance? Why is that an okay position to have? First of all, disability, we don't, a lot of people are invisibly disabled a lot. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so we have no idea what people are dealing with. And so if that's all you can do is make fun of the way people look, then like, where is the, where's the skill? And, you know, I've been in comedy circles. I've did the improv circuit and I had a lot of improv bros say to me, well, you don't just, you don't understand. I'm like, right. Because when I'm on stage with you, you always want to make fun of my height. I'm a dwarf, make fun of my height because it's easy for you. And usually it's the guys that aren't that funny. Yep. Who immediately are like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not landing jokes. I know what will, I know what will land a joke. I'll make a midget joke. Because she's right here. And, you know, and people are like, well, it was just off the cuff. But why is that always what comes out of his head off the cuff? Yeah. What does that say about you and your talent? And people, Kara, you don't know. You don't know. I do actually know. And I've had, I had a conversation with him in the mall, in a mall once because he texted or he he tweeted right after Hillary Clinton got the nomination um, in 2016. He tweeted something. Well, now a lesbian midget can be on the ticket now that we have a woman. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd already had a problem with him because in his Bigger and Blacker special, he said that Stevie Wonder should be allowed a pet midget to walk him around. So this is someone that literally comes for people and their their appearance and their their disability. And so when I went to him and said, hey, yo, I, I ran into him in the mall just randomly. It was and I just was like, can I speak to you for a second? Because this is what this does. And he kind of just acted super surprised that anyone would confront him on that. And then kind of just kept saying, well, I'm old. I'm in my 50s. I can't change. If people are laughing, it's funny. And, you know, that actually explains a lot of what happened on Twitter last night was that people were like, you guys are being too sensitive. Amanda Steeles came out and said, if you guys can't take a joke, then what's up for you? We got to be solidarity with black people. Well, black people have the second highest rate of disability in America. So who are you being who are you being in solidarity with if you can't acknowledge disability and blackness and how disability is a core is a core tenet of blackness in America? Like if you can't acknowledge that, then you're not in solidarity with black people. You're in solidarity with this very thin view of blackness. And I have a problem with that. You know, it, it's, there are so, there are often times, right, where comedians uh, say things, right? The the, the point uh, of comedy in a, in a lot of ways, right, is supposed to be to bring into conversation, good comics, let me say, to bring into conversation issues that we struggle with talking about, right, without there being some type of punchline. 
And, you know, I had a similar type of conversation and have had similar type of conversations after Dave Chappelle's Mm -hmm. stand-up, right? And Dave Chappelle's stand-up is targeting uh, and and targeting of the trans community. And, you know, it's always the people who are not the targets and the butts of the jokes who feel that they have the space and the place to be able to tell those other people who are harmed, right? And when I say harmed, I don't just mean upset feelings because upset feelings are also valid. But words we know can turn into violence, Mm -hmm. right? We had a former twice impeached president of the United States make a joke as a candidate about a disabled reporter right? Um, who was then jostled about at one of his rallies because people take those quote unquote jokes, right? And they use them as a reason to dehumanize other people because without, to me, without the context, right? Without the understanding and frankly, without really the, the, what it means to be a true ally to a marginalized community, you don't get the opportunity to make jokes that are harmful, that can turn into actual physical violence. And the fact is that, you know, the harms that words have are, can cut way deeper than a physical knife, right? And, and these are the things that I, you know, I I am a, a, a big believer that there are just, we, that it's laziness, right? Like I think that Chris Rock is a, I do believe that Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are brilliant comedians. I do believe also that they are completely problematic at times and that without, that without people really checking them, um, and really offering conversations as to why this is okay. Right? Like you've begun the, the list of people that you can readily make fun of, right? Without there being consistent pushback has shrunk, right? (laughs) Like it is no longer acceptable to make fun of lesbian, gay, and bisexuals. Oh, but you can still make fun of trans people, right? Because, you know, less than 20% of the population is made up of trans people. So, oh, we feel that's okay. You can make fun of people with physical disabilities or emotional disabilities or mental disabilities because, oh, it's, it's easy, right? We can talk about bipolarism and depression and make these and make these conversations because it's low hanging fruit to your point. What do you think is then the responsibility of journalists to have more of a nuanced conversation as to why as to why what we witnessed you know, at the Oscars and what we have seen before, whether it be on comedy specials or stand-ups or what have you, are problematic. Mm. So I'll just, every newsroom I've ever been in has been super ableist. And I will just say that out loud. And um, newsrooms need to start first checking themselves and looking around and understanding that if you don't know if you have a disabled colleague, then you're probably in a really ableist room. I'm not saying there's not disabled people in there. I'm saying that there's people that are afraid to disclose, mm-hmm. which means they're also not asking for accommodations because they're afraid for their jobs. 
which means you you are penalizing and punishing people and people are doing things to their bodies that maybe they shouldn't be doing mm. mm-hmm. because they're afraid they're going to lose their job. So then start there, right? Then the second spot is, is if you are in that space, how in the world are you going to cover this? If you, if your colleagues can't even tell you that they're disabled, how are you covering this? And so I saw, I had a lot of my journalist friends on my page upset because I took the position of, uh uh-uh, no way. And, you know, this guy's been problematic for a reason. I am not condoning slapping on stage in a national setting. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when you reap that kind of violence, when you put that kind of violence in the world, violence will come back at you. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. And no one can seem to hear that what he said was violence. And that violence and like people like it's just words. No, it's not. Because as a person who has dwarfism, when I go on the subway, I have to look around to see who has it in their head that I'm not really human, which he basically has said a lot, is that we're subhuman, that we're not really full people, that we're jokes. So if pe- if you're putting that in the water, other people who are less informed than you take that. Take that and run with it. And then there's violence. There's physical violence perpetrated on you. But no one seems to want to make that connection. And so journalists never make that connection because they, first of all, they don't see it. Right. Second, because it's not around them. Even Mm -hmm. when I was in the newsroom, newsrooms were super violent to me. And like, I would have people come up to me and be like, oh, you persevered. You persevered. I'm like, you let me sit in it. And you said nothing. You just let me sit there while I was being told I wasn't that bright. I shouldn't make it past assistant because I couldn't be put on screen because that would be exploitation if you put a dwarf on screen. You guys watch that, visibly watch that, but pretend like it didn't happen and don't notice it. So why am I going to listen to you talk about this issue when you haven't investigated your own ableism? So the word that journalists need to do before they start reporting on this stuff, first of all, they need to hand the mic to some disabled journalists and have them cover it. Second of all, they need to go investigate their own ableism in a real deep way. The way that um, newsrooms have started to investigate racism, but guess what? Racism and ableism intersect. Yeah. All over the place. All the time. Yep. So if you're investigating racism, but you're not investigating ableism, you're not doing the work. And and how are you covering people? Disability, disabled people make up 26% of the American population. 26%. The people that have the highest rate of disability are Native Americans and Black people. What does that say that you aren't covering disability in a real, real substantive way, but you're covering the, the, um, you're covering the protests? But meanwhile, 50% of the people that are, that are killed by cops are disabled. Mm. 
the all of the names that you know in your head, like Sandra Bland had epilepsy, disabled. George Floyd had a drug problem. That's a disability, right? Um, I can't even like I uh, Eric Garner had diabetes and uh, heart issues. All disabilities. We don't talk about that. We just talk about black guy, black woman, this, that, and the other. But why? Why are prisons full of disabled people? When we talk about the school to prison pipeline, I rarely hear how that how the school to prison pipeline actually functions. It functions by using disability as a weapon. Mm. But we never talk about that. We just talk about the black boys and the black girls that get whatever. But we don't talk about the actual system that creates this problem. Why are 30 to 40 percent of our prison populations disabled? You know, and it's, you know, you say this, right? You're saying these numbers, which are so incredibly jarring, the statistics. And then I think that the president's budget was announced this week. And do you know that he gave, you know, trillions of more dollars to the police, mm-hmm. right? To the police and to the military above and beyond, right? Then then is ever called for or they're even requesting. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, you know, when are we going to have the consistent conversation about why money to police does not help people? Right. That it adds to harm that instead of sending police for a, you know, mental health issue and breakdown, which are a lot of the reasons why people are are call. Right. They call their you know, they call the police because, you know, somebody is having a mental health crisis. And then the next thing we hear about that person is shot dead. Mm-hmm. Right. Or strangled or need on or what, what whatever the case is. And we're saying you're sending these officers. It's not a crime. These people need actual help. And that's not what police do. And yeah, mm-hmm. I said it. That is not what they do. Right. And so, you know, you you then we say, you know, a, 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 as Democrats, oh, well, we need to support the Democrats. And I'm like, they're the ones that signed off and created the crime bill. Right. Like, so when when we look at these things and we talk about harm, I really want us to have expansive conversations about what harm looks like, mm-hmm. right? And how we contribute to these harms because, you know, right now, you know, following this the, this Oscars incident, the hashtag trending is I stand with Chris Rock. That's what's trending right now on 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 Twitter, right? And I'm thinking to myself, so you stand with the public humiliation and abuse of a black woman. That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Right? Like th- this is this is what you're standing by. Nobody's saying Chris Rock, oh be canceled this. I'm saying learn a goddamn lesson. Like you said, you put out you put out violent words, you put out violence into the universe. Be- best believe in karma. When you do things like that, I do not condone violence. I don't condone violence in any shape or form. But like Chris Rock said in one of his stand-ups, I understand it. I understand where it comes from, right? And I understand that the possibility of watching your wife, as Will Smith may have, 
over the last however many years from her diagnosis of watching her lose her hair, a woman who is in the public eye, who is an actress and your beauty standards are held above everything else, right? And then watch that struggle privately and then watch it ridiculed publicly for other people's entertainment is one time too many. Uh, Yeah, also in a room full of her peers. In a room full of her peers in front of a national audience. Why? Like, why did you need that? What was it? And I remember having this conversation with him and he just kind of didn't get it. And someone said to me when during the, the discourse last night, well, he's disabled too. And I said, yeah, he is, which makes it worse. It doesn't make it, and it's not an excuse. You don't get to say, oh, well, I'm disabled, so, you know, or I didn't get it because my disability didn't make me get it. And it's, nah, people have talked to you. People have said things to you about it. You can get this. You're a smart dude. You, this is not, don't blame, don't blame this on your disability. And he hasn't. He literally hasn't. So I'm not saying that he did. But there's other people coming out trying to use disability as a weapon yeah, to not clear this up. And I just, it's, it's upsetting to me that the black community just really, no, I'm not saying all the black community, but there's a, a large portion of the black community that just is kind of like, I don't know what you're so upset about. And we're never going to be free until we talk about our all of our oppressions. There were some leading black journalists saying awful things on Twitter last night. Yep. Yep. Awful stuff. Like, like, can you really call that a disability? Losing your hair? Like, why? First of all, why are you why are you questioning someone's disability? Like, if you're light-skinned black, like, and I know we're not supposed to do this, but I'm black, so I can do it. But, like, people questioning light-skinned black people being like, are you really black? It's like, where do you, why is that your duty to gatekeep? Mm. You're Mm -hmm. sitting there gatekeeping this, this woman's disability. You have no idea what she's gone through. And she doesn't need to tell you that either. No, and I think, you know, what what comes up, you know, as well is, you know, when the late actor Chadwick Boseman died, mm-hmm. right before his death, the amount of comments that were made about his appearance, mm-hmm. the amount of jokes that were made, and then lo and behold, to come and find out, oh no, it was cancer, mm-hmm. Right as to why he looked the way that it did. Oh, now everyone's so apologetic. So why not just provide people with grace and assume that whether they are rich or not, that we don't need to make fun of people because we have no idea what they are carrying. We have no, we, 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 especially I would, I would say Kara too, in this particular moment that we are living in of just trauma and history and all of these things that are happening that like we owe it to people to ourselves and to them 
to have more grace, to have mm-hmm. to show more integrity and more dignity than we are seeing across the board, let alone from those that we put on huge platforms because of their skill and their artistry and all of these things, right? It is a, it is a, a, a trickle down effect. So last question for you, you know, is there, is, is there a positive spin to have to this? Is there an opening for more of a conversation to be present? I hope so. I, I really do. Um, it's it's really complicated, though, because all of this happened sort of publicly, right? And so Black people were trying to figure out, we were trying to figure out in our own conversations, like how to deal with this. And then you have white people inserting themselves being like, I have an opinion. And you're like, Ugh, like just stay out of this for a minute. Um, it's I hope that it 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 is an opening. I I think that this issue is so wrapped up you know as a kid and like I don't want to make this all personal but as a kid being raised in a black family when you're disabled some of your relatives are like just shake it off don't don't worry about that keep it moving blah 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 because that's that's what we teach each other is just you yeah. can't worry about all the oppression you just got to keep rolling through it but I, that's what i'm hearing a lot on twitter is like just push through it or she should have just pushed through it or why couldn't she just like whatever cuz we all have this and we all got to move around and it's no we actually need to dissect this we need to we need to slow down and talk about all of these statistics and talk about what that means and what that means for us and our culture and what that means so that we can fix or rise past this oppression. And, and like, we can't stop oppressing ourselves, but we can stop oppressing within our own community. And when people talk about solidarity, they have to really mean it. And solidarity doesn't mean shut up. Because we have to praise that one successful guy. It's like, well, no, if that successful guy is doing harm to a large portion of our population, we need to check it. That's part of what solidarity is about. And I hope that we can finally, like, understand that solidarity isn't actually being quiet and not criticizing. Solidarity is making space and criticizing within our community so we can be better and be together to fight the larger issue of oppression. Yeah. Kara Reedy, thank you so much for making time to join Woke AF Daily. And I hope that you'll come back again. There are many more conversations for, for us to have. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. That is it for me today, friends on Woke AF. As always, dear friends, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. 
from breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.